Why settle for just living a good life? When you can live a life optimized to achieve your human potential, learn all the hacks that will transform your life from average to extraordinary. Welcome to Life Optimized with functional medicine expert, Dr. Neil Palvin. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another great episode of the Life Optimized podcast, where we talk about how to optimize your health, life, business, and sports. You can follow us on everywhere that you follow podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and you can follow the, the Dr. Paulvin channel on YouTube. Today, we have a really great guest of somebody I probably send more emails to about questions than almost anybody else. We have Hannah Went from True Diagnostics, uh, who is trying to has definitely developed and is trying to revolutionize biological age testing and the use of uh, uh, biological and epigenetics, biological clocks and epigenetics. So we are going to talk about Hannah. Hannah Went is a lifelong has a lifelong passion for longevity and breakthrough disruptive technologies that drive radical improvement to the human condition. She attended the University of Kentucky, a wildcat, and graduated with a biology degree. During that time, she had multiple research internships, studied cell signaling and cell biology. After graduating, she worked for the International Peptide Society as a director of research and content. Through work in the integrative medicine industry, Hannah saw an opportunity for methylation-based based, based <coughs> Age Diagnostics and started True Diagnostics in 2020. True Diagnostics is a company that focuses on methylation array-based diagnostics for life extension and preventative health care. Serving functional medicine providers. True Diagnostics has a commitment to research with over 30 approved clinical trials investigating the epigenetic methylation changes of longevity and health interventions. Since True Diagnostics' inception, they have created one of the largest private epigenetic health databases in the world. Wow, didn't know that. With over 35,000 patients tested to date, Hannah has since created the Everything Epigenetics podcast where she shares insights on how DNA regulation has an impact on your health. So that sums, that is a mouthful. And that, uh, again, you, if you want to learn about how epigenetics and, and biological age affects your life and what's real and usable and what's kind of just not kind of uh, not ready for prime time yet, you want to check out Hannah's podcast or newsletter and all the true diagnostic stuff. So Hannah, thank you for hopping on the podcast with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Paulvin. Excited to be here and really get down to it and discuss epigenetics. And I, I and you are definitely one of the hardest working uh, of, of p people and companies in functional medicine and this stuff. I mean, I think you're literally at every conference. And I have to say now, congratulations on your recent wedding. Yeah, thank you so much. A, a lot of traveling. You know, October is a super heavy month for all of these conferences. So I'm in Lexington right now, excited to be back and uh, get more focused on new developments. So, so it was a, how did in at University of Kentucky? How, where did you see the future in epigenetics and biological age testing, where it was going to become part? Now it's almost part of the mainstream in terms of people looking at it to evaluate their health. Yeah, in college, to be honest, I actually had no idea this world even existed. So I originally went to University of Kentucky with the goal of being a veterinarian. I've always been super interested in biology and the cellular signaling process and how that works. Switched my focus more on to becoming a genetic counselor, focusing on the genetic DNA testing, uh, which we know is, you know, you get 50% from mom, 50% from dad. That's not going to be changeable. You have this hereditary risk. Um, 
But after that, got a really unique opportunity to work at um, TaylorMade Compounding Pharmacy in Nicholasville, Kentucky, alongside of the International Peptide Society. And that's the moment where I was like, wow, this integrative healthcare, you know, functional testing space exists. And that was really eye-opening. And that is when we really wanted to quantify, you know, how the peptides improved our biological aging. So we were doing this testing, you know, before True Diagnostic was really even a company. Did not I, learning something new. So you this started really. What, what, can you tell us what peptides you're looking at? Out of curiosity. Yeah, just any of them. Obviously, you you're probably very familiar with the the struggles in the FDA. So we were just trying to prove that not only people feel better subjectively from them, but objectively they reverse that number one risk being aging. Right for every single chronic disease and death. So that's how things started, and now it's everywhere. Everybody's talking about it and trying to figure out how it works. So let's first kind of give everybody a definition of of epigenetics. How do you tell people who have really don't really understand what it is, what is it, and how do we we use it? How should the layperson kind of understand that it's not written in stone what their epigenetics say, but how do they use it for good and not evil? Yeah, yeah. So... Epi is a Greek prefix. It actually means above. So when you hear epi, you know, anything in terms of epigenetics, we're looking on top or above the genome. So there's all these modifications that can happen to the genome. But when you think of the modification DNA methylation, that's an epigenetic modification, adding a methyl group on top of your DNA just means you're shutting that gene off. So we are quite literally looking at what's being expressed and what's not being expressed. And for the layperson, I really like the comparison or analogy of thinking of genetics as the hardware of a you know computer or system, and then epigenetics as the software, right? That hardware, that genetic information, that doesn't change. That's what I just referenced, the 50% from mom, 50% from dad. So you have a genetic risk, and that's definitive. But then you have this epigenetic factor on top of it, which is changeable, And this is extremely enlightening. We actually have an epigenetic risk that we're in control of. It's all of those environmental factors combined to give us some said risk, right? We know people, um, if genetics was the complete picture, you know, everyone with an APO34 variant, this Alzheimer's variant, why don't we all get Alzheimer's at the exact same age at the exact same time point in, you know, our life, right? Um, So there's other factors that play a role and that's where we point to epigenetics. You hit so you know, since this is something that is modifiable, that is what a people need to understand that whatever your test says, it's not locked in stone. And what you guys are doing, and some of the other great companies out there are doing, is they are now figuring out which factors are modifiable and, and to somewhat what extent, and some don't. So, couple. Let's point. I mean, can you point out like the two or three biggest things that you you've seen so far that people can change in a short amount of time that will uh, will change and improve their epigenetics? Yeah. And, you know, in terms of maybe the outcomes we look at, and and we can define this later too, Dr. Paulvin, but there's a pace of aging metric that we have, which is almost like a speedometer, right? It tells you how quickly you're aging biologically for every one chronological year. And a lot of researchers and clinicians and, you know, everyone really, they love this marker for really quick N of one precision-based testing where they can kind of do some experimental testing on themselves to see what's slowing down their pace of aging. It's boring and it's rather intuitive, but I will tell you, people who really focus on 
more of the nutritional aspect and caloric restriction, they see the largest decreases within that Dunedin pace. So that also comes from a clinical trial um, called the Calorie Randomized Control Trial published at the end of February this year in Nature. So just showing a 10% overall caloric restriction in healthy non-obese adults over a two-year period, you can actually start to see that Dunedin pace reverse. So I, I think caloric restriction from a lifestyle standpoint looks to be the best. Um, but really anything that's going to work on that mTOR. So let, let me define caloric. Caloric restriction means, from what you're talking about, just a negative caloric balance for the day. does not mean we're not talking about inter- any of the fasting, time-restricted eating, or, or intermittent fasting. We're literally just talking A minus B and your negative restriction, uh, 10%, like you mentioned. Um, let's do that. Let's kind of, you brought, brought it up. Let's kind of define the way I, you hit it. I, guess, I think I got the definite, the, the, the analogy from you guys is the pace of aging, which is Dunedin, is the speedometer where it's it's much more flexible and, and much more fluid versus where a biological age test or any of the other aging tests out there, to me, I call it the, I, the odometer or the mileage where it'll move a little bit, but it's not. It's more static than fluid. I mean, I don't know if you guys have a better way of explaining it, but that's kind of what people need to understand. There's different, this, everything is not, any every biological age test out there is not exactly the same no matter what. And we'll get into that a little bit later about the difference in clocks that are out there. Uh, but even the ones that were, ta- the, the main things you need to understand is there are the pace of aging, which is speedometer, like Hannah mentioned, and the basic biological age test, where again, are more, you may check them every six months and it changes a little bit, but not something that's going to change on a minute, in theory, a much more fluid scale. So you mentioned caloric restriction. Now, I know there are other things I discuss with patients, things like, I know alcohol, alcohol will definitely have an effect on it. Smoking cigarettes will affect it. Um, which I and the one that I find interesting, I think again, I'll, I'll just equate everything I see on this stuff to you guys, even though it's probably not true. Uh, that smoke marijuana does not affect biological epinex as much as the other two do. Is that correct? Am I right on that? I, I would say so. Yes, I would say we need a lot more data to to understand kind of the mechanism of action by which it may be working. Um, you know, eventually, what I see happening in the future is probably some epigenetic DNA methylation tests that can tell how you're going to react to, you know, marijuana or, you know, different strands. There's already that kind of testing for genetics and cannabis, but uh, you're correct in your analyses. I mean, I think from, again, from that fat perspective, those are simple things you can do. There's a, again, once, and then once you get your testing back, which will delve into the, the test in a little bit, those are starting points for most patients to look into how to get it down. And then now the tests are getting much more and more advanced, we can now, we'll talk about how you can look maybe potentially specifically your organs or your VO2 max or your, how your lungs are doing. Um, for, or uh, again, I think there's a couple now in terms of medication. So this has become something that used to start, it's kind of started at this point, where we just were looking at the methylation of the DNA. And now people are looking at their liver age, which is really, really cool. And, Exciting all, and uh, I can't wait for it. So we talked about a couple of definitions so far. So let's talk now. We've mentioned a couple times. What when we say a biological clock, or an, what is that? How is that different than what we've been talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So let's just define the most basic term here, which is chronological age, right? Um, your chronological age doesn't change. It's you know what you see on your birth certificate, how many candles you're blowing out on your birthday cake every year. And then we have this biological age. And this biological age is really defined as something that's happening on a cellular level. 
because we know everyone of our same chronological age, some people look much older and some people look much younger. That's called phenotypic variation. So we know, again, chronological age isn't a really good biomarker, hence enter biological age. <laughs> well, you just said, Dr. Paulvin, though, with the biological age clock, this is where we actually use machine learning, artificial intelligence, deep learning models to choose specific DNA methylation positions there'll be a different number. They'll be looking at different locations. And this is what we call an epigenetic or DNA methylation biological age clock, because we're interpreting that raw data, those really how, how much your genes are being turned on and turned off for specific outcomes. So again, you'll have, you know, all these different epigenetic age clocks. They're all going to tell you different things depending on the exact outcome that you want to look at. And they're, and they all will come with potentially different answers, which is some of the pushback I get. Oh, well, I did three different clocks and my age was 32, 37, and 46. These clocks don't work. Is it, That's not an indictment of biological clocks overall. It's just the fact you, they all work a little bit differently. And you got to kind of, I guess, take, I, I, how do you respond when people say that to you? That, oh, I did three clocks and I'm all over the place. It's, it's difficult to be quite honest. And, um, you know, we'll keep creating new clocks so it'll get even more difficult to be quite honest. But um, the fact of the matter is aging is very, very complicated. Um, we probably all wish it wasn't, but it is extremely multifactorial. We have so many cells in our body. Every single cell has a different epigenetic age clock. So, you know, what I really value in kind of assessing these biological age clocks are a couple of things. Number one, are they published? Are they validated? Are they related to clinical health outcomes? Because if they're not related to clinical health outcomes, I don't believe they're applicable. I don't think they have any, you know, insight into how you're really aging on a cellular level because anyone can make a clock, right? I can say, oh, I'm going to measure how many cigarettes someone smoked in their past 10 years and, you know, put it together a little equation and call that my, you know, smoking biological age clock or something, um, for lack of a better example. So you really have to dive into each of the algorithms themselves to understand how they work and if they're appropriate for your situation. So right now, this is a, like we said, this is a definitely has such huge potential, but it's such a growing new field that it's something where people are going to have to make sure that you're working with a reputable, like you said, a te reputable test company that has good data behind it and also work with a health provider who understands what these clocks are telling you and what these clocks are just, again, like I said, not ready for prime time yet, but you can use as a guide. And there's some things we just can't just file in your pocket and, and, it's not helpful at all at this moment, but 10 years, we may have the, the algorithm or the data. Like we mentioned at the beginning, you guys luckily have one of the hugest population, large, not hugest, largest populations of data already. So you guys are going to be ahead of the game in terms of be able to determine more and more things about that data, um, which en enabled you to develop this, the omic test that we're going to talk about in a little bit, to, where things are going. So this is something that people who are listening out there, I would, I would definitely recommend doing a biological age test and there are and then but also again the key is understanding what it is it's and it's not just to me I, again i want to let you respond to this to me the biological age number itself is is helpful but it's now the deeper dive like you said, the health related data is almost more important to me 
than the biological age number itself, at least where the, t- the tests are going. Um, because like, yeah. That's, yeah. that's my opinion. Again, if you're, if you're 27 on the calendar and your test comes back at your 76, that's a huge red flag. Um, but if you're, again, if there's not a big of a difference, you want to learn, again, what is affecting my DNA the most, at least the way I try to explain it. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Sorry to cut in there, Dr. Baldwin, but I, <laughs> I wanted to highlight that you need to work on this with a healthcare provider. <laughs> I think this is a lot of information, um, especially with the testing that we provide. So we mainly work with healthcare providers, just like Dr. Paulvin, who are experts in this topic. And you really echoed what I was getting ready to say is, yes, it's great to measure once. It's fun to measure once even, right? To learn your biological aging. But what becomes most useful is when you test afterwards, after you make a change to see if that's hopefully helping your aging but maybe you're doing something that's not so great for aging that we once thought was, you know, very helpful. So it's the longitudinal analyses that make sense. The testing every six months or or so, depending on, again, how frequently you want to test. And that that was my next question. Yeah, I think the fact that it's it's so very it's so. What I love about these tests, it's so, I don't want to say responsive, but you get every six months, you know how what you're doing is helping you or not helping you. It's very A to B in that regard. So it's, it, I think it's, again, something that patients should definitely really seriously look into doing, but it's something that you've got to be someone who's going to commit to the what you, to results you get. And with a lot of these new tests out there, understand that the results you may get back may not maybe negative, maybe indicative of some issue with your health, but you can't fix it. I think that with a lot of the new tests are out there, patients are like, I didn't really want to know that. And they, and they just kind of shut. It's very interesting dynamic I've seen, but a lot of these new tests that people just, it scares them, which is kind of interesting. So we talked about biological age. We, we got into the, some, a lot of the basic definitions. Um, so let's, from my perspective, the next level is kind of like we said is how, is, is how it affects health of specific how we could do use a biological age and more specific the epigenetics in affecting behaviors like you said so again that kind of goes back to alcohol and smoking what are the behaviors and or health behaviors or interactions that we have that most likely are easily going to be affected in and seen in looking at our biological age or the epigenetics yeah, definitely. You you mentioned the smoking and drinking, and we actually have reports that can quantify how much you've smoked or drank across your entire lifetime, right? Where these markers are more accurate than their self-reported smoking or drinking habits. And that's, again, the goal of this testing is we need to change patient behavior. You know, someone may be a little embarrassed if they consume more alcohol than they think they should be, and they may lie on an intake form, but we're actually able to look at the DNA methylation in those epigenetic markers and say, eh, we're picking up a little bit of a higher score here. You may be drinking a little bit more than you're letting on. So it'll help them hopefully, you know, lessen that behavior. Because like you mentioned, we know smoking and drinking speed up those biological age clogs. So an employer, there's even things like, oh, go ahead. No, finish up. No, even things, you know, just some other components as well. Um, that really drive the aging process, I would say that we haven't covered yet from a lifestyle uh, side would be uh, any type of stress. Um, you know, obviously chronic stress over acute stress, um, but any type of stress is going to accelerate those biological age clocks. Um, and then really bad sleep as well. I think it's super important to, you know, track your sleep with a wearable uh, just to make sure you're getting quality and quantity. 
and the, again, the, that is for everybody, kind of the start for all health journeys, but that is, again, the fact now that we can learn about it, kind of A to B, it's kind of good, it's interesting that an employer could actually just start doing your, do a biological age test on somebody and see if they're, A, how much they smoke or drink, and B, if they're lying to them, and that brings up a whole nother Pandora's box that I don't even want to get into, but that's kind of, that's kind of cool uh, and bad all at the same time. Hmm, okay, be careful what you say and, and don't say. Anyway, so the, the, for me then, in terms of what the next step with epigenetics, and I mentioned to you when we were talking before, is how now we're seeing epigenetics linked to disease states. Meaning, I mean, there's now links to, to lung damage, there's links to a lot of psychiatric issues, um, there's links to um, inflammation, there's all these different, I think there's even linked to a couple, I, I think I saw one to Alzheimer's. So it's a, so that to me is, again, that is a next giant step in terms of how we can use these to either hopefully predict illness or assess illness. So how, where is that next step at now and how do we use it now and then where's it going in the future? Yeah, to, to be honest, Dr. Pelvin, it's quite hard, right? I'm in this weird middle group where I see the clinical application because that's what I spend most of my time on is speaking with healthcare providers and how to implement this testing in their practice. Yet I have, you know, my podcast and all of the research we're doing at True Diagnostic as well. So it's really hard to put those together where you, you know the research is there, but it's still too early for clinical diagnostic or use. Um, but a really good example is schizophrenia. So schizophrenia um, could only be diagnosed if you go into the clinic and you see a healthcare provider and you know they basically see the symptoms and they say, yes, we diagnosed you with schizophrenia, right? It was more of this clinical diagnostic. Um, there's a paper that came out a couple years ago where they finally figured out more of the mechanism of action um, with schizophrenia. And now you can actually diagnose the disease just through a DNA methylation um, epigenetic analysis. So that's one simple example, um, but we are definitively getting there. It's just, I'm sure, as you know, hard to bring these really early application-based diagnostic tests into practice. For yeah, between cost and technology and and the doctors, all of the above, I can imagine. But I think again, this is just a light that something so simple that's something is not say simple is not the right word, but something is there in the DNA that will let us know if somebody has an illness. It's going to be another part for the doctor in terms of being able to diagnose somebody with some complex issues. So that's I think hopefully the future if we use these uh, if this just continues to develop the right way. So we talked, we went through all these things. Now we have. The cool new testing that you guys came out with, what, about two weeks ago? Three weeks ago now? Mm -hmm. As we're recording this, uh, the the Omic M-Age, did I get it right? Kind of, close. Uh, yeah. Panel that kind of has is what I kind of call like the Ferrari now of biological age testing because you have some organ things in there, some lifestyle things in there that still get a biological age, the pace of aging that we talked about in the beginning. Kind of you put it all into one complex testing unit. So what makes this test that much better? I know you partnered with the doctors over at Harvard, if I'm not mistaken. So explain kind of what this does and why this is differentiated from a lot of the other things that are around right now. Yeah. Omic M-Age is the best biological age clock ever created to date for a multitude of reasons. But I think first and foremost, it goes back to how predictive it is. So it actually beats every single clock that's ever been created in terms of 
predicting type 2 diabetes, in terms of predicting cancer, heart disease, metabolic disease, um, mortality, just overall, you know, death, um, and, and along with morbidity, of course. The only one it doesn't work on or, or beat Grim Age on, which is the death predictor and, and previously known as the best biological age clock, is COPD, um, because Grim Age was trained on um you know, cigarette smoking in, in that population. So of course it's going to be better at predicting COPD. So with this clock and how we created it, we took 5,000 of Harvard's biobank samples. So we were looking at these samples across their entire life, you know, when they were a child, um, throughout their teenage years and adulthood. So we were taking markers before they got disease diagnosis and even after disease diagnosis. And we selected even a subset of those um, patients who passed away. Therefore, we're able to predict those outcomes. So again, we're getting better at relating this to the clinical picture. And then we can even tell you if you increase your omic MH by a year or three years or five years, how your risk increases. And then if you decrease your omic MH by a year or three years or five years, we can tell you how you're going to decrease that risk even further. So again, I think that's very useful because that can help drive patient decisions when they think, oh, if I make this worse, I actually increase my overall risk of death by 10%, right? They're going to think twice maybe about picking up the beer on the weekend or, you know, smoking a couple of cigarettes, I think. Let me clarify for a bit. When you say predict, meaning that you have a greater likelihood, what, when you say predict, what do you specifically mean by that? Like in terms of- Correct. So we use a hazard ratio, basically. Um, so a hazard ratio is how much can X predict Y. So we want a larger hazard ratio. So compared to all of the other biological clocks out there, omic MH has a higher hazard ratio and predicting the diseases, meaning how likely is this to occur? So um, I know we haven't talked about it yet, but like telomere length, Dr. Paul Van Wright has a really, really, really low hazard ratio. So people aren't really using the telomere length as a you know predictive outcome of, of health in the clinic anymore. Thank you for saying that. I say that, I think I say that like a one podcast a month and people still don't believe me. So you're getting it out there you're too. You, you, you have a better, there you go. Um, so, I just want Mr. Peel. We say predict does not mean it's set in stone. It's not some little witch causing a spell on you and you will whatever, but it means that you have an increased likelihood at this percentage if you continue with this certain behavior. You're smoking, it will lead to 10% greater risk of you having mortality. Correct. And yeah, want to be clear uh, with that as well because I get that question all the time. It is not an absolute risk, which is basically what you're describing. It is a relative risk at that time if you kept up that same behavior. So an absolute risk means, you know, when am I going to get hit by a car? No one can measure absolute risk. So it's your relative risk. And again, that can be changeable, which is why epigenetics and DNA methylation is so exciting. Okay. There we go. So yeah, you can change everything we're talking about. You can still change, but again, you'll know what your biggest risk factors are. And those are things you definitely want to work on. Um, mm -hmm. And then, and like you said, it does have the pace in there. Um, so, and then it also does have some, which has kind of become based on a lot of the stuff that's in the news right now, some organ aging, or is that coming soon? Or where does it fall in terms of with the age of certain organs? Yeah, that's coming soon. So I can now 
you know, we can publicly talk about it since we have the exclusive license with Yale um, from Raw Gov Seagal. He was under Dr. Morgan Levine and now um, working with Dr. Albert Higgins Chen on the release of these organ ages. So um, probably sometime, hopefully uh, by next year, uh, early in you know the first or second quarter, we'll be able to tell you the age of 11 different organ systems. So heart, brain, liver, kidney, skin, blood, that was only like half of them, but you get the picture. So then you're going to be able to identify, okay, which organ is making me age the quickest and you will be able to target therapy to slow down aging for that particular organ. So I'm very, very excited for that one to come out. Uh, and I'll let you plead the fifth if you have to. How ready for prime time are these organ ages? I see them, patients talking about them. I see uh, influencers talking about, oh, my liver age dropped 12 points when I took this supplement. How ready for prime time? Is it, is it as good as what we were talking about with the other like smoking and alcohol? Or is it kind of something you use as a broad guideline? Where are is the age of organs right now? Yeah, so right now, what you see on social media, people are creating these ages, right? Um, they're not based on DNA methylation. They're not based on epigenetics. Um, you know, there are a lot of really, I would say, big people who have an influence on social media who are creating these ages just by looking at, you know, blood-based values of the kidneys or blood-based values of the liver, right? Kind of like the example I gave earlier about some smoking age that I'm quantifying, right? Um Keep in mind that these algorithms we're using and we're going to deploy um, are going to be created very delicately through the DNA methylation epigenetics, and they're going to be validated um, in extremely large populations as well. Okay, that's what I want to hear. Yeah, that, so the, the, these organates you're seeing now are very gen very broad and not something you want to be living your life around, making health-based decisions on. Um, so that, that's why I wanted to kind of get out there where your opinion was on it, because I kind of feel the same way at this point. So, uh, But you're the expert. I just listen to you guys at this point and do a little research on my own. Anyway, so what I love about the omic age, it also does, I, from, um, just to the A, it, it allows us to look at certain, like I think you guys are looking at VO2 max and some other health predictions that we commonly use in the longevity space kind of related to epigenetics. How are you guys doing yeah. that? I saw gate in there. I saw VO2 max. I think there's a waist-hip ratio in there. How does that interplay with epigenetics and biological age? Yeah, this one's interesting. So we actually have this physical fitness age we can give you as well. Um, that includes omic age and then gait speed, grip strength, VO2 max, and FEV1. So this algorithm in particular, the way they did that is based on an algorithm at UCLA by Kristen McGreevy. She's phenomenal. Um, so she quantified basically the physical fitness markers in a population at the same time she took their DNA methylation samples. So she's, you know, taking a blood sample, measuring the methylation at the same time. These people are doing grip strength, gait speed, FEV1 and VO2 max. It all comes down then to how can we build a model? So we ask again, our machine learning, our deep learning, our artificial intelligence to pick DNA methylation positions, which are representative of that outcome. So it's an elastic net regression modeling system. If you, you know, follow more of the bioinformatics or statistics side. And again, we're really able to quantify anything with DNA methylation, as long as we have the data behind it, which is why it's so exciting. So on those reports, you will see a physical fitness age 
And then we can tell you where you're at in your percentile in terms of grip strength, gait speed, uh, FEV1 and VO2 max. So we can, again, make more targeted recommendations. For me personally, I'm in a really low percentile for my FEV1. <laughs> so I'm going to work on some exercises that help my force expiratory volume and, you know, my lung capacity, essentially. So it can check. So you're saying by just doing these, these blood tests, blood spot tests, let me just... This is, these are blood spot tests for everybody. It's not something you're not urine. It's not you have to go to a lab. You can do it at home or do it through a doctor's in a doctor's office. So it's pretty simple to do. That by just doing that blood spot, you could tell me where I am, VO2 max, FEV1, without me having to run the treadmill or in theory. Okay. Absolutely. That is that is that I really like. And and it's age 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 and sex specific, I'm assuming relatively, I'm assuming. Correct. Yes. Yep. Yes. And that's what we call an EBP, essentially. Um, so we're, we coined this term. It means epigenetic biomarker proxy. So it's using epigenetics as a biomarker to report out some other outcome, aka biomarker, right? So it's not always going to be perfect, right? But it's going to be very much correlated with the actual outcome. I'm loving this stuff more and more and more. And you and you have all, you just break it down very simply, uh, which is great for the people listening out there. So the question I always get, and I'm sure you get it too. So if I take rapamycin or if I take a calcium AKG, is that I know there are some supplement recommend now some uh, supplement and slash medication comments in the test, correct? I know uridine's in there, there maybe one or two other ones that are in there. But do you comment on? any of these supplements or medicines that are being used to lower the biological and some of these epigenetic markers yet? Or that's something you guys haven't endeavored yet into? We traditionally stay away from recommendations okay. um, because we want to offer the best testing. We don't want to offer the best testing and the solution, right? But obviously we work with experts like yourself, Dr. Palvin, on what you've recommended to patients and then what we see in their follow-up test. So the AKG looks really good. Um, rapamycin is a great one. Um, this field is just so new. So as exciting as it is, it's as equally as frustrating just because of the lack of that clinical data. So there are some, there are some supplements out there that are out there, but uh, again, you guys, there's no great testing yet. I don't think any of these, even the big ones, like we said, rapamycin, AKG, uh, that are specific to biological, again, biological, biological age or epigenetics. So what did we miss in discussing this new omic MH test besides the things we hit on already? Yeah, like you mentioned, we can actually... Well, I should say the algorithm selected these. We didn't create this. The algorithm selected uh, what was statistically significant in affecting the omic MH. So another reason it's so pivotal in just the history of biological age clock creation is we can tell you why you're aging. So we're adding that personalized guidance that hasn't happened before. So there's a total of 36 clinical lab values proteins and metabolites that we actually report out on. So we actually can quantify things like your red blood cell width, your HbA1c, your fasting glucose, your blood urea nitrogen. Um, you mentioned the uridine as well. So we can say, for example, oh, Dr. Paulvin, it, we, we actually want higher uridine levels to help your omic MH, but you're in the 
fifth percentile. So this isn't really helping your omic MH. You need to supplement with uridine to raise this level up, thus lowering your omic MH. So we can actually point to these individual values. And of course, the first question we get is, should they match up with my clinical lab values I'm getting tested through my healthcare provider? And the answer is they'll be close, but remember it's a biomarker proxy. It's not going to be the same. We're just telling you what is affecting your omic MH the most, but it will definitely get there in the future. Okay. And then you said, you already mentioned, so these tests, I think, again, this is the, the combination of everything. It's like a perfect soup. We have the, the two paces in there. You have the these multiple different clocks are combined into one big omic age package, and they kind of get all these different answers in one test. So that's correct, right? I'll make sure I'm saying the don't want to say something that's incorrect. Right, it's all those different things yeah, together. Yeah, so, yeah, the Triage Complete Kit includes, you know, the Omic Age, the Pace, the Telomere, the Physical Fitness Report, um, twelve cell immunity convolution method. You know, how much you've smoked, drank. It includes everything. So you mentioned telomeres as one. Is that is there a certain things you hear in the in again, be it on social media or on the news? And you have biological age, epigenetics, it just makes you kind of cringe in your bed and you're like, just please stop saying that. Uh, What is out there that you want people to know is not true or again, not ready for prime time yet? Oh, I'll I'll maybe say a hot take I don't think I've discussed before. So we... You mentioned telomeres. Um, something we get a lot or a question I'll get is, hey, Peter Atia doesn't agree with these biological age clocks. And I will tell you, Peter Atia is... A phenomenal, right? He's very, very intelligent, but I don't think he has all of the information about uh, the biological age clock. So I don't know if he knows that the Dunedin pace exists, you know, any of those kind of higher level epigenetic age clocks with the calorie randomized control trial that we discussed earlier, because his argument is that they don't really measure the true underlying biological change. Um, and we know that the Dunedin paces with that calorie randomized control trial. Yeah. So yeah, he's de- somebody, I know people who like mutually know him and they're like, he's, he's bending a little bit now. Um, but it, it's true. It's some, there's some hard nosed people. They're just saying again, partly because of the same reason I said is, well, my age is different every time is not, again, it's not an indication how the clocks are working. It just means that you're they're doing different, looking at different factors. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I, th- I think, the, I think Peter will turn around soon, uh, but I, uh, not yet. So I, I, I totally get that. I hear people say, Oh, P-, again, it's amazing. He's kind of like the gospel. I get, Oh, I'm not doing that. Peter T said, don't do it. I'm like, okay. And so that's the stuff that's not ready for prime time. Where are we going? Where are the next one or two steps that we're going with all this stuff that the biological age and epigenetics? Yeah, I think what's most interesting to me is seeing the research, like I mentioned earlier, turn into application. So there's a company um, that we're working with uh, called Dionysus Health. Um, And they basically have Dr. Zachary Kaminsky on their board who creates and specializes in uh, using epigenetics to predict mental illnesses. So this company has developed a state-of-the-art algorithm to actually predict postpartum depression and things like um, preterm birth. So I think it's DionysusHealth.com or you can Google it and it'll come up. But those are the companies that we are going to start seeing come to fruition. And you know that we get inquiries about all the time where, 
hey, can you actually look at this algorithm? Can we report out on this? And then can we change this metric? And a lot of the times the answer is yes. So again, that's what I love about where this is going. It's more disease than, okay, look at my cool number or bad number. It's the fact that we, we can predict disease ahead of time as as you and every uh, we did peptides for, we're trying to flip the paradigm being more preventative than reactive and how we do healthcare in the US and worldwide. So that is, I mean, I hope that comes to fruition as soon as possible because we need more and more and more and more of that. Um, anything else that's out there right now that's really intriguing in the space or is it kind of like even too soon to see? Yeah, I, I haven't talked about this one yet at all, but I can now um, since we uh, have signed uh, some agreements. But um, we're actually working with Olaplex, if anyone's familiar who's listening. It's a hair care brand that they're actually getting more into the cosmeceutical space. Um, so we're actually working with them to develop uh, a skin clock, actually. Um, so the world's first ever kind of second generation skin clock, meaning we're able to tell you things like your skin age, but also your collagen percentage, your elastin percentage, what products we'd recommend based on your DNA methylation um, in those skin cells. So that one's really exciting. And, uh, you know, we've partnered with a great company on that as well. And we'll see what we come up with. That may be like, I mean, even though you do all this other stuff, lung disease and, and mental illness, if your skin looks good, you guys like you guys have hit a home run there. So um, that's that that is really cool. I look forward to that. So let's um, I really appreciate you hopping on. Um, really gave some great information. So if they want to check either you specifically out, the, the Everything Epigenetics podcast and your social media and True Diagnostics, where can they find out all this information and where should they go? Yes, definitely. So you can check out my company, True Diagnostic at T-R-U and then Diagnostic. It's singular.com. Um, you can shoot me an email, Hannah at TrueDiagnostic.com and find me at Everything Epigenetics on Instagram and my podcast as well as Dr. Paulvin mentioned. There we go. Definitely, again, she has every couple of days of some new study shown that she kind of breaks down for everybody. And uh, um, it, it's so much easier just to understand the way she breaks down. You can, if you're a, be a beginner in it, you can learn something. If you're more advanced, there's some stuff there with the podcast. And the other gentleman who's going to be at the conference that we were just talking about, his name is, your, I don't know what his title is at your company. He also is really yeah, good stuff. Varun Dwarka, yeah, Varun Dwarka, the head mm -hmm. of bioinformatics. Yeah. Check him out. I mean, if you don't mind, he also has great information out there about the company and just the space in general. Is Again, this is growing every month. This is something where it's not like a blood pressure where you, uh, a blood pressure, oh, something changes every six months a year. Every two weeks, there seems to be some new development in the space, which is fun. I'm sure you have spent a lot of time uh, trying to keep up on all this stuff. So um, any final words? Otherwise, uh, I appreciate you hopping on the Life Optimized podcast. I think this has been great. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity, Dr. Paulvin. Thanks for coming on, Hannah. And this concludes our latest episode of the Life Optimized podcast. And we'll see you soon with more great information and guests. See you guys soon. Bye. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a biohacker, or an athlete, if you're ready to take the next steps to optimize your life, visit drpaulvin.com. That's D-O-C-T-O-R. P-A-U-L-V-I-N dot com.